Tony's going to come up and introduce our people. We're doing testimonies, which we do any month that there's a fifth Sunday. We share some testimonies. So Tony's going to talk to us about that, and then we get to hear some stories. Yeah, so testimony is, testimony translates the Bible into real life. So when you read the Bible, you're reading God to all his people. But when you hear a testimony, you're hearing God to one person like you. And your testimony, you know, testimonies are stories from your life. It can be how you met Jesus. It can be a place where Jesus met you in life. But your story is one of your most important ministry tools. If you went through something and you met God there, God will bring people into your life for the rest of your life who've been in that situation because you've, the fact that you've met God there gives you something for them. So one of the things I talk about is stewarding your story. When you meet God, remember it. Write it down. Um, treasure that because that's a tool that you get to use for the rest of your life. So we're going to hear from a couple people about their stories and what God has given them. So, Erica Tuggle, where are you? There you are, you moved. <laughs> so, give her a hand. She's going to share some of her story. Thank you. Good morning. Okay. Hi. So, uh, when I started kind of trying to figure out how I would kind of deliver my testimony, uh, I was just praying about it, and I was just asking God what he wanted me to share, and um, I kind of got, like, this moment of clarity where he just wanted me to share a portion of my testimony that went along with this theme of plans and purpose and miracles, so it's not, I'm not going to start at the beginning, but I'll start at a beginning. Um, so... Uh, in 2010, God started kind of weaving together the story of me and my husband. In 2012, we would get married, and then that fall, 2012, I became pregnant. <laughs> Yay for natural family planning. That was not on purpose, but <laughs> it's okay. Um, the funny thing about that is in the midst of us uh, planning to move, or pla uh, being pregnant, we were planning to move to Indonesia, uh, in January of 2013, and so uh, getting pregnant was absolutely not a part of our plan at all, uh, but it was part of God's plan, apparently. Uh, so when we would move to Indonesia uh, the spring of 2013, uh, we would settle in, we started living our life there, and then we had our son uh, two months later, and we named him Sean, which means that God is gracious. Uh, because God had been incredibly gracious to us in that season. And um, we, um, what we, when we look back, and even being there, the funny thing about us having Sean is in the culture of Indonesia. It is very, um, it's kind of like the ultimate in to have a baby. Uh, and so having Sean with us had opened so many doors for us to kind of, be accepted into the Indonesian culture and like be welcomed in uh, and, and to be able to serve them in ways that I think would have been maybe a little bit harder if we actually didn't have a baby. 
And so it's just kind of interesting and fun to see God's plan unfolding in that way. Uh, so we were there for about two years, and in the summer of 2015, we made our way back to the States for a trip, uh, which we envisioned would be just a couple of months. Uh, initially, it was to kind of be a cultural liaison between our Indonesian team that had come with us to go to some conferences, and then we would kind of tack on uh, being with friends and family for the latter part of the trip. Um, and during that time, we had met with our uh, partnership people, the people that we would uh, partner with that help us to work overseas in Indonesia, and it was decided that we should raise our budget and uh, increase our financial support so that we would have more financial stability when we were back over in Indonesia. And so a couple months went by, uh, finally we hit a year um, here. We still weren't making any headway financially. Uh, we were getting discouraged, demoralized, like, are we ever going to make it back? Um, and also around this time, we were thinking, well, maybe we should think about, like, expanding our family. Uh, getting pregnant the first time worked so well, sending us over. I'm just kidding. We didn't do it for that. Um, but we decided we wanted to have another baby, and so we, I got pregnant again, and this time on purpose. Yay for natural family planning. So... Um, very shortly after I found out that I was pregnant, we started to notice some uh, physical ailments with our son. He started to lose balance when he would walk. His speech was starting to get slurred. Even his eyes became misaligned. Um, and so after just a month of going to doctors and getting tests, uh, it was a very draining, exhausting month. We found out that he had terminal brain cancer which uh, obviously was not a part of our plan either. <laughs> um, so we found that out, and it was during um, that time that God kind of started to work in me, kind of revealing things about purpose and his kingdom. Uh, and so Sean made it to his fourth birthday, uh, which was a miracle, because the doctors didn't think he would uh, lived that long. He got sick shortly after three, and they thought he had about, like, nine months. And so we uh, celebrated the fact that we got to ex uh, celebrate uh, another birthday with him. Um, so we celebrated his birthday, and um, soon after that, that was when he would pass. Um, we were... Um, reeling. <laughs> you know, it was a very crazy, confusing time. I remember even before he passed towards the end um, of Sean's life, just my prayers changing from God, heal him, please, to just, God, just take his suffering away, whatever that looks like. Um, and he did. He took his suffering away, and he's healed now. He is with Jesus, though. He's not healed in the way that I would have wanted him to be healed, but he is healed. Um, so I um, prayed a desperate prayer to God, saying, I don't want your comfort. I need you to do something in my mind. I need somehow for you to make sense of all that's happening, because I feel like comfort's not basically going to cut it. Um, which I'll note, he still gave me his comfort because he still knew that I needed that too. Um, this community, this church really came together 
uh, in ways that I believe that God moved in our community's hearts to be there in ways that we didn't even know that we needed, which I also consider that to be a miracle as well. Um, but one day, um, John and I run to Safeway really quick before we just need to get a couple things for groceries for dinner. And I'm sitting in the car with our daughter, who was born uh, six months um, before Sean passed. And so they got to meet each other. He got to te uh, help teach her to crawl. Um, so, but Sean has passed at this point. I'm sitting in the parking lot, and all of a sudden, I just feel this very strong prompt. I have, uh, I call it my purse book. It's called The Pursuit of God. I carry it in my purse, and I was very prompted to just pick up the book and start reading it. I was immediately led uh, to chapter four, the Apprehending God chapter, uh, where Tozer writes, at the root of the Christian life lies belief in the invisible. The object of the Christian's faith is unseen reality. Our uncorrected thinking influenced by the blindness of our natural hearts and the intrusive ubiquity of visible things tends to draw a contrast between the spiritual and the real. But actually, no such contrast exists. The antithesis lies between the real and the imaginary, between the spiritual and the material, between the temporal and the eternal, but between the spiritual and the real, never. The spiritual is real. And it was at that moment that I just felt like my eyes had been opened. There was such clarity and peace that flooded in me to, to somehow being able to understand um, where my son was, that he was in the midst of the here but the not yet, the kingdom of God being here but not fully here, the thin veil, the, the big picture, like the purpose um, on our way to Jesus restoring this earth and having in, um, and ushering in the new earth. Um, even to this day, heaven almost feels very tangible to me. Um, time had even changed with me thinking about my life here, um, living until however long, but being able to still spend eternity like with my son. Um, so he had really been doing some work um, in just my mind and answering that prayer. Um, even after that, uh, any anger that I had in my heart, which was totally fine for me to have anger because God can handle our anger. But he started to kind of give me um, new eyes for just suffering and parents who had lost children or are losing children or anyone navigating pain and suffering in this world that if I can choose to follow God while other people are suffering, then surely I can follow God when I suffer as well. And it just kind of made this, his mission and the purpose of all this just kind of come alive. Um, I just think about the hope that's embedded in my story, even through s such pain that I not only um, will see my son again after just experiencing a loss like that, but that my, my relationship with God has transformed uh, the way that I think about um, his mission and his purpose and the kingdom is also transformed. Um, even just the hope that's just embedded in all of our lives um, with the big picture again. Uh, the miracle is, you know, that none of this was ever meant to end 
here. Like there's more, there's, um, there will be an ushering of the new earth. Like the kingdom of heaven will come. Uh, and I just, I'm just forever grateful that, that he answered that prayer in that way, that I can um, still have moments even when there's sadness, but being able to see joy just even, you know, as we went through the, the fruits of the spirit, that joy and peace, like those things come through the Holy Spirit, and I'm still able to, to experience them, and it just gives me a lot of hope. Um, so I hope that that gives you some hope too. Thank you. Thank you, Erica, for opening your heart and bringing us into a painful moment in your life where there was also redemption. So, James, why don't you come up and we'll do yours? He's like, oh. <laughs> James is a good man. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Hey, Vineyard City. Uh, my name is James. I was named after James from the Bible. My mom went to Catholic school literally her whole life. So uh, I was set up to succeed from the moment I was born. And if that sounds arrogant or egotistical to you, that's because it absolutely is. And uh, that's the exact behavior that drove me away from God. Uh, I had great role models, or so I thought growing up. I was in Awana's uh, vacation Bible school. Boy Scouts of America earned Eagle Scout by 13. But um, my Awana's teacher really liked kids, unfortunately, a little too much. But don't worry, I, w I was an ugly kid, so I was safe. But... Uh, my Boy Scouts teacher really liked to abuse his wife, so those were my role models that, you know, I looked up to. So if these are the people who have this great relationship with their higher power with God, what does that really look like? So it was a big turnoff for me. So I, I left. I left it all. Um, I stopped going to church, stopped doing everything. Until about middle school when it became cool again when it became cool to talk about God, when it became cool to pray in school and doing the Pledge of Allegiance in God We Trust, we kept all that in my small little town when people started getting rid of that in schools. But uh, I got to take this cool trip. I got to go to Portland, Oregon for a One Life, One Chance festival. And that was awesome. You know, I was maybe in eighth grade, I think, when this happened. And I started really getting into it, getting back into the word, reading the word. And around that time, my brother died. And he wasn't into it. He wasn't into faith. He wasn't into anything. So I, I had this question that I kept asking myself. If he didn't believe, where is he? You know, I, I didn't want to believe that, you know, he wasn't in heaven or anything. So I gave up again. It's like, this is, this is easier for me to believe that nothing, that he's at peace, that he's fine compared to where he is now. Come to find out later that uh, he was actually very, very faithful. He wore a cross. He did all of this other stuff. But in the midst of all of my giving up and coming back and giving up again and 
I uh, started experimenting with, you know, drugs, alcohol. What I was really doing, I was, I was looking for any kind of external solution for this internal problem that I had within me, this hole that existed. And I tried to fill it with everything. So uh, freshman year, I meet this girl who I later marry. We, we do 12 years together. Um, but when we were 15, she got pregnant. I was like, oh, okay. So she asked, what do you want to do? And paid for the abortion. I, I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in any of that. It, I didn't care. There's, there's science. Let's, let's do it. And we did. Um, it, it, these are all decisions that I would never make today. Um, and I think with that happening is a little more of me started dying. A little more, a little more that I kept sacrificing, giving a little bit away. Like I, I like to think of my soul being like pixelated and every one of my horrible dis decisions, a couple of those little cubes started float, like floating away. They were gone. Um, and out, out of nowhere, like I just woke up one day and, it, and it's five, ten years later. Um, she comes back to me and said that she's pregnant again. And I'm, I'm in the heart of my alcohol addiction. So we, we have the baby this time. I name him Marshall, and I was drunk when I cut his umbilical cord. Uh, I come home from work one day when he's maybe three months old and my house is empty. She emptied out the house. And uh, I was kind of grateful because then I didn't have to be responsible to anybody anymore. And that's when my addiction took flight again. I woke up in... Reno's hospital after a bender. I had woken up three days later. I was life lighted with a 4-7 blood alcohol. What I was doing, I was attempting suicide. I was just too scared to do it any other way. I didn't care to live anymore. And this was a crossroads of mine. It was like, well, am I going to go into treatment or am I just going to wither away and die? Uh, I went from 185 pounds to 115 in a matter of eight months. I, I was done. I didn't want to live anymore. So they told me that they were sending me to the Salvation Army. And I was super confused. I was like, why, why are you sending me to a thrift store? I don't understand. <laughs> but, but, I, but I get in, and the very first day in there in Stockton, in their chapel, they have a big cross on the wall. And I just got, I got super hot and had to sit down. And the, the pastor came up to me, and he, he asked if I was a believer. I said, absolutely not. I said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm an, I'm an alcoholic. I don't know. They, they sent me here. I was like, do you want to be here? He's like, well, I, I don't want to go home. That, that was it. And he said, well, you are home. And he worked with me, and I asked a bunch of different questions that he was more than willing to always answer. He gave me a, a service position of putting up the... Uh, the reading of the word every day, and he made me read it, and he made me write it, what it meant to me every day. And it started growing, and it, it, all of a sudden, I was, I was up, I was talking to that church too. And he asked me, do you believe? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really starting to, but I, you know, I still have a bunch of questions. And he said, that's fine. Do you think God is so small that he can't handle your, your, your questions? And I was like, oh, yeah. 
that makes a lot of sense. But that was, uh, that was my first rehab. Uh, four more later, I'm standing here today with a year clean and sober that I just got. This is the longest that I've ever had. Um, Sean baptized me here as a, as a new beginning, as a new creation. And it's, it's amazing how much my life has changed. When you're in an, in an addiction the way that I was, you have no emotions, no feelings. You're, you're pretty much numb. So I get to go home a couple few months ago, and I'm talking to my son, and we're listening to worship music, and he asked me where people come from. So we, now, at least once a week, we talk on video chat, and uh, we just read the Bible together. I just read it to him, and I explain what I know, and he asks questions, and then I end up Googling a lot more than I thought I would, but but it's, it's great. And then he told me that, uh, he said, Dad, I love you. And I love Jesus, and Jesus lives in my heart. And it had been three years or so since I had cried, and I broke down right there. It, only because it felt like it was the very first time I've ever done anything positive in his life. It, it felt so rewarding to, to just do the right thing. And that's what I've been doing this last year. I'm getting my driver's license back. Um, got a place to live. Everything is slowly falling into place, and I don't do anything without praying first. The mo like, I keep my shoes under my bed, so that's the very first thing I do when I wake up, is I hit my knees to grab my shoes, and I, I pray right there, too. Um, Sean invited me to this worship class, or this uh, leadership class that we do the second Sunday. And they were, they were asking what you wanted to do for the church. Do you want to plant a church? Do you want to pastor a church? I said, no, not really. I guess if I want to go, you know, um, we're going to do a, uh, a missions trip to Indonesia of all places. But really, my, my whole goal for leadership class is the leadership in the home is, is to just raise my son the way that I wasn't raised. I, I wasn't raised. I was brought up. I just lived there, sort of. So making sure that he has a father who he can rely on and I get to be that person that I never had because my, my idea of a father was, I don't know, a guy who taught me how to sell drugs instead of go to school and, you know, get a job. Why do all that? There's so much money in the other place. But I, I'm making sure that he never has to know or do any of that. That's, that's what leadership means to me, is passing all of the stuff that I do now onto him. And I couldn't be happier. Thanks, guys. So, before Linda takes over here, um, I'd like for us to do something after the service, which is the people who gave testimonies bared their hearts to us and told us something that was really precious. So after the service is over, pick one of them and tell them what you loved about them and their story so that they get to actually hear back the impact of that their story has on people. Is that you willing to 
do that? Okay. Um, can we do it now or do communion or? Okay. We'll, we'll do communion and then we'll do it right after. Let's do it now? Okay. All right. So get up and Eric is back and way in the back hiding. <laughs> and James is way at the front. So tell them one thing you loved about what they said. All right. I just want to say a couple cool things about our church is that everyone gets to play, which means no matter where you are in life, you get to participate, whether it's reading scripture, helping out in Sunday school, all the things that you have a valuable part to play in our church, and you don't have to be like on church staff or something like that. And the other thing that I love about our church today is just that it's real and that you don't have to dress it up or be fancy or wear the right clothes or anything that exactly who you are is just right. And I love that so much about this church that, I don't know, I'm sure you could just feel it like you're just accepted how you are and that there is nothing... I don't know, everything that they shared was so genuine and real, and I feel like that's something that our church really embodies and values and promotes of that, like, exactly how you are is exactly how you get to be with us every time. So I love that so much. We're going to take communion. We do this every Sunday. Um, basically, we're remembering what Jesus did for us. We're remembering together, and we're remembering with all saints through history, they have the same tradition, so we're kind of joining together all time of us, all remembering that Jesus' body and blood did something for us, made a new opportunity, gives us just a new start every time, right? And so we kind of renew that, remembering every Sunday that he died for us. And that it's real, just like we put in our mouth and we can feel it, it's real. And so the way we do that here is we come up the middle aisle and we dip the cracker into the wine and then go back holding it until everyone goes through the line. And then we'll eat it together and remember together. So if you follow Jesus, you're welcome to the table. If you want to follow Jesus, you're welcome to the table. Jesus, we remember you. We remember that your suffering is real and that you did it for us. And we say thank you. Help us to take this into our life and through our week. Just bless this communion as we take it together, God. Let's stand together.
Lord, I just pray a blessing on your church this week as we go out and just live our lives with you. I pray just for your light to shine through us. I pray that we would carry these encouraging words with us and that you would just strengthen us, be what we need this week. And God, I also pray that you would just keep filling this church up. Lord, I just pray a blessing on this church this week. Amen. If something that was said today touched your heart, we'd love to pray a blessing on that. Go ahead and come to the front. Or if there's a request that you have that is really heavy on your heart, you're welcome to come up for prayer. There is food downstairs today. We have our potluck, so you're welcome to join us for that as well.